What a blessing it is to receive and remember the greatest gift ever given, that God loved us enough that he sent his one and only son to die so that we might live. By his blood, our sins have not just been covered over like in the Old Testament, but they are gone. So don't allow Satan to lie to you this morning as you come here to worship, you come here to listen to God's word. You are made perfect through the blood of Jesus, amen? What a great gift. That's what we celebrate. That's the hope that, that came through Christmas is the hope that changes everything. Hey, leading up to Christmas, it's my honor to be able to remind you through God's word how amazingly wonderful Jesus is. That's what I believe about Jesus. That's what the word of God declares. That's what uh, Jesus uh, acknowledges about himself, that he is the Messiah. He's amazing. Focusing on that hope that Jesus has for us is as important now as ever. I believe in my short life relatively, some uh, my boys are like, man, Tyson, dad, you're getting older. And I know that, but in my short life, this is the most important it ever has been to look to the hope of Jesus. 2020 has been horribly disappointing as a culture, as a human race. It reminds me of the video I'm about to show you where some kids are unpacking some gifts given to them by their parents and, and they're assuming they're gonna be great gifts, but notice they're horribly terrible. Watch this. That last boy is some of us. Uh, uh, the world has said, hey, we thought really hard what we get you this year. Well, you didn't do a very good job, right? We, we're frustrated with 2020. You, you haven't done a very good job of providing what we wanted. Hmm. Some of you are like that other little girl with the banana. Man, I really appreciate you. It's not me very often. You have saw the rottenness of this year and you're trying to squeeze everything out of it you can, make the very most of it. It's kind of nasty at times, but, but you're committed to, to make the most of something that's rotten. As surprised as those kids were to have those surpri uh, surprisingly terrible gifts, when we headed into 2020, I don't believe any of those kids were more surprised than we are to what was before us. Many of us, uh, time after time, are like the, the girl with the pickles. We saw what the world provided us. We got this bag of goods, everything that was brought into this world in 2020. And we're like, just take it back. I don't want any of that. Get that away from me. But the reality is we're in it. We need to make the most of it. We want, we want to push back from the sickness, from the pain, from the fighting, from the hurt. Take it all back. If that's where you're at this morning, uh, uh, you're normal. It's okay. But we can come to God. And I promise you, in a moment's notice, our Heavenly Father can provide hope for you. If you've been hurting and you feel like you're losing hope, I encourage you to listen to this message from God's Word. 
open your hearts up to receive, uh, maybe for the first time, God's grace and his love through Jesus Christ. Maybe for some of you, it's, it's the hundredth time that you're coming again to him and say, I, I've lost hope, but he is there to offer it. This month, we have been studying one of the most famous prophecies of the Old Testament. Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, declares 700 years before Christ is born. He says, there's going to be a Messiah coming. He is going to offer uh, light to this dark world. If you've been with us the last few weeks, you, you've, we've caught a glimpse of just how dark the world was in Isaiah's day. God's people had cried out for a king years before. And God says, hey, you don't need a king. I'm, I'm your king. And God's people said, we want to be like the other nations. We want to have a king. So he granted them a king and the first few kings were okay. By the time Isaiah is writing this text, the world is so dark. In one way I could share with you how dark it is. The king was Ahaz at the time. And Ahaz became a, a total evil king. It wasn't enough just that Ahaz was king. Uh, he was trying to kind of play both sides of the fence with God's people and the Assyrians. The Assyrians had begun to, to kind of lord over God's people. And, and to try to stay politically in step with the Assyrians, he began to do the things they did, even worshiping pagan gods. To the point he killed his own son. God's people... Uh, his, the king uh, said, I'm going to try to honor uh, the political world I'm living in, and I'm going to kill my son. Now, uh, in that time, it wasn't that odd for a king to kill a son. Sometimes the king would uh, uh, have a son, and he would rise to power, and he would become strong. And maybe in his late teens, early 20s, he thought, I should be king, and they would come to war, a, a, a literal war. But Ahaz king, killed his son as a child, not in a political conflict, but in a sacrifice to a pagan God. You talk about a dark place. Sometimes we think our, our world is dark. Uh, the Bible makes it clear they were walking in darkness while King Ahaz should have been a wonderful father figure for God's people. He was a terrible dad. And God's people had no sight of hope to ever having a heavenly father on earth. God's people are losing hope and, and any, any thought of a father figure around them. The king had led them into financial mess, into political problems, into spiritual disaster. It looked like all hope was lost. And then Isaiah comes in Isaiah chapter 9 and says, hey, in this darkness, you're going to have a great light. Look with me to the text, Isaiah chapter 9. It's going to be on the screen. It says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the greatness of his government and peace there shall be no end. He will reign on David's throne. And over his kingdom, establishing and upholding its justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. What a great message of hope that coming at, at one of the darkest times in history. Uh, and I would submit to you, many of you are going through one of the darkest times in your life. And that, that story, that, that truth of the hope of Jesus still remains. But he was going to be coming as a child, as a son, but not an ordinary son. His name would be Wonderful. His name was to be Mighty God. His name was to be Everlasting Father. The, the ironic thing about that, it was another paradox. This child that was going to be born as a son to a virgin is going to be the Everlasting Father. 
That makes no sense. At a time when God's people had a king that was uh, not even a good dad, God was declaring through the prophet there would be an everlasting father that would be perfect. He would be born of a virgin and wouldn't have an earthly father, but he would become the everlasting father. Let that sink in. The Hebrew word that Isaiah wrote could have also be translated instead of everlasting father, father of eternity. Did you know Jesus is the father of eternity? He is. He was here before time even began and he will be on forever. He was the origin of time. He's the father of eternity. We see it in John chapter one. A lot of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they tell of Jesus' birth through Mary and Joseph and the wise man and the prophet, uh, uh, the, the, the shepherds and all of that detail. John gets right to it by uh, predating that. And he, here's what he says in, in the gospel story of John chapter one. In the beginning was the word. Pause for a second. That word is Jesus. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Notice, I love that translation. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him, nothing was made that was made. If anything has ever been made, it comes through the father of eternity, through Jesus. In him was life and that life was the light of men. Uh, Jesus himself, by being the word before he took on flesh, spoke everything into existence. That was Jesus he was with God in the beginning and everything has been made for him and by him. Look what uh, Paul says in, to the church in Colossae. Here's what he says in chapter one of Colossians. He is the, the image of the invisible God. He's talking about Jesus. He, he's letting the church uh, know about Jesus. Jesus is an image of the invisible God because when they made everything, they didn't have something I believe that we could see. He put on flesh so we could see him, but he's always been God even when he was just the word. Let that blow your mind for a little bit. That's how awesome our Jesus is. He's wonderfully amazing. The firstborn of over all creation. For by him, all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. So here's what that lets me do right now in 2020. I can take a breath because Jesus has this. This is not a surprise to Jesus. You know, a lot of times when you're a child, uh, the boy just happened this weekend. I forget what it was. Something happened and they're like, dad, did you know this? And with confidence, I was like, yeah, I knew that. <laughs> and, and I'm an earthly father. As, as, when you get to be a grandfather, you don't miss much or a, a mother. Uh, Tiffany, there's not much that gets by Tiffany in her house, okay? And, and the boys are starting to understand that and they're realizing this. Guys, to a whole nother level, level, God does not miss anything. Jesus was the maker of everything. And we can have peace in that. Jesus often talks to his father though, God, even though he's the everlasting father. And he has done it before time existed. They were in communication. When God began to create everything in Genesis, he says, let us, he's talking to Jesus and the Holy Spirit. But when Jesus, for our purpose, for our benefit, when he talks to, to God, he often uses the word father. Did you know in the book of John alone, the gospel of John, Jesus speaks of God as father 156 times. It's good to talk to your dad. 
Jesus is that example of that. 156 times he, he, he declares about his father. He speaks to his father. And the majority of those, he uses this word uh, that would have been a common word of the day that we could translate as daddy. It's Abba. If you ever hear anyone say Abba Father, it's a very personal relation, uh, relational term that just kind of has this uh, term of endearment, almost of just saying, hey, dad, dear daddy. That's the way Jesus talks to God because they're one, they have this intimate relationship. Here's my encouragement to you in 2020 and 2021 until Jesus returns, you can cry out to the father and to Jesus as, hey, daddy. It's not disrespectful. Now, if someone finds it disrespectful, you could refrain from that. But in your prayer closet, when you're down on your knees, when you're driving your car, you can say, Daddy, I need you. And it's perfectly healthy. Look what the Word of God says in Romans 8. So you have not received a spirit of, that makes you a fearful slave. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Man, that's beautiful. God is the one who gives us the ability to call him Father and Daddy. Now we call him Abba Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. He calls us sons and daughters. We can call him dad. If you prefer father, that's fine. But the reality is he wants a personal relationship with you. It's so important that Isaiah is talking about this everlasting father because the Israelites all of a sudden had no picture what a real king would look like. Uh, that while, while the king should have been a, a good dad to the, to the uh, nation, he was evil. The Old Testament supports this idea that he's a good father. Look at, look at Psalm 68. Mark this in your hearts and your Bibles. The psalmist writes this, sing to God, sing in praise of his name, extol him who rides on the clouds. He is the one who's on the clouds. He's beyond us, but we can praise him. Rejoice before him. His name is the Lord. Our father, he is a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. And I think that's so appropriate for right now. He sets someone who's in isolation, someone who's lonely. Guys, each, each week I talk to some of you who are listening online or maybe on the radio. And each week I talk to someone different. Says, man, I haven't been around anybody for a long time. And people are lonely. God is still your father and you're part of his family. We're still brothers and sisters in Christ. He sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing. But the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. Guys, we can be isolated from one another and God's still our father. But when we rebel, we're on our own. There, there's a blessing in this passage and also a warning. When we rebel, uh, we're, we're uh, on our own uh, to, to be overwhelmed by the world in a moment's notice. But the word of God consistently reminds us that he's our father, he's our daddy. Jesus does it often. And I think Isaiah is doing it here because we need to be reminded when the world has gone awry, we can trust our dad. If he were only the supreme creator, our savior and king, we would have a different relationship with him. We would almost have this uh, inability to come before him, to, 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 to come to him in prayer. But, but the word of God wants us to know there's a strong relationship between his, chi- his children and us. Remember, Isaiah is writing this during a time when the king was evil. He was a hard man. He was a dictator. He willing to kill his own son to have political power. And Isaiah says, Jesus is going to be different. He's going to be an everlasting father, an everlasting daddy you can trust. That's our relationship with him. 
I don't know your relationship with your dad. That's a whole nother sermon. That's a whole nother time of discussion with a friend or a pastor. But here's what I do know. There are many fathers in this room that I am so proud of because you model Christ to your wife, to your children, to your families. Are you perfect? No, I don't know anyone that's perfect in this room, nor am I. But we have some godly fathers in this community, in this church, and I'm so thankful. I want to challenge you fathers today, and a side note, to continue to be like Christ, and you'll be the best father you could ever be. Strive to be a father that models Jesus. Fathers, we have a great responsibility. We're to live and love our children and support them and train them and discipline them as God would see. Far too often, fathers become distant and removed from children, especially when it comes to spiritual matters. Guys, one of the greatest things you can do is to be a Christ-like father to your children, your grandchildren. Too many men have created bitterness and hurt and pain to their own children as we push them away because of who we are as humans. Maybe that's what happened between your and dad. And the word of God says, don't do that, guys. Look with me to Ephesians chapter six. This is a challenge just to dads, uh, wives and, and moms. You can relax for a little bit. This may apply, but this is not speaking to you. This is speaking directly to dads. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. This is also translated in the NIV, do not exasperate your kids. This is this idea that you're so hard on them. You're so uh, rough on them. You're so demanding of them that they want nothing to do with you. Guys, I get to live what I preached yesterday. The boys and I spent the morning cleaning out the garage. I don't know about you, but our house, that's not one of the highlights of the year. And in that time, I made a mistake, a huge mistake. We had a big eight-foot ladder up cleaning uh, uh, some stuff out of, the, out of the ceiling. And we put up the, the garage door when that ladder was out, and it knocked the one side of the garage door off the tracks. It sounded like a shotgun going off. I did that. My boys also made some mistakes. Most of the time when we were out there, uh, the, the vacuum was running, the shop vac was running, and it's loud. So as we begin to communicate about the mistakes, the vacuum's still running, and we start yelling at a loud volume. Tiffany comes from the basement in the garage and says, what is going on? But I want you to know, in, that, in those moments of we're just trying to communicate, and my voice goes from just yelling to screaming uh, to get my point across, I'm exasperating my kids, and I'm looking like a failure as a father. It happens quick. Guys, I wonder when the last time you kind of pushed your kids away because you were harsh, you demanded too much. You failed and, and you put your frustration on them. Guys, it's not acceptable because when we're modeling uh, anything that exasperates them, that, that provokes them to anger, we're pushing them not only away from us, I'm afraid, but we're pushing them away from understanding the Father in heaven because we're not following his example. It is serious. So much so, here's what Jesus says. Now he's talking to all disciples, not just fathers, but, but husbands and wives and boys and girls and men and women. Jesus said to his disciples, which is to us now, things that cause people to stumble are bound to, to come. Pause right here for a second. Jesus is acknowledging there's going to be things that lead people to stumble and away from God and away from following him. It's bound to come. But woe to anyone through whom they come, either parents, fathers, or mothers. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. 
men and women, brothers, sisters in Christ, moms and dads, it would be better for us to have a millstone tied around our neck and thrown in the middle of Bond Lake, never to be seen again, than to cause uh, one of God's children, whether they're young in age or young in faith, to be led away from the Lord. So it's serious. God's people uh, were being uh, led by this uh, rough king and God wanted no part of it. It had to be corrected. Guys, it has to be corrected in our lives. If if we're the parents, if we're uh, the Christ example in someone's life, we need to lead them to Jesus. Parents, I believe we have the first responsibility to that. Parents, do your best to remove anything and everything that may cause your children to stumble. Well, what would that be? It's anything and everything that will cause them to stumble or to fall away from Christ. Those things are bound to come at school, at their friend's house, uh, when they're on the internet alone or wherever it may be. There's gonna be things that come into our lives, into your children's lives that are gonna cause them to stumble. But don't let that be on your watch. It's serious matter. It's our responsibility to lead them to Christ and not lead them into a place to be pulled from him. We have to be involved. We have to be aware. I wonder what, if you're a parent or grandparent right now, what do you know is in your child's life that's causing them to stumble that you can say something about? One of the greatest, if if you hear nothing else today, what a great uh, blessing would be that if you do something to protect your child today or someone young in the faith that you could do to help them to stay focused on Christ. See, God's people didn't have that with their king, as Isaiah wrote this. Sadly, the whole generation had seen a king that was evil. What what do your children see? You know what the generation today is called? You know, you you could debate what they're called, Generation X or or Y or the Millennials, whatever generation the next one is to come. But you know what it's been labeled by many? The fatherless generation. The generation of teenagers and young teens have been called the fatherless generation. And for many, it's accurate. Do you know that one out of every four children currently being raised have no father figure? 25% and higher have no father figure. Not even a grandfather or, or a, a person in their life that can look like a father. One out of four. Much like the nation of Israel, our nation today is looking to see, well, what could God be like? Because nothing around me is, is a good everlasting father. Some of you wish your father wasn't around, but he was. You had a father figure in life, but he belittled you, he hurt you, he frustrated you. And you're like, why would I want to be around an everlasting father? I'm ready to get away from my dad. If you feel like a father has no place in your life, I would ask you to slow down and look back to the text and see some truths today. We have been saying this time and time again, when your feelings about anything come in conflict with what God's word says, God's word wins. And one thing I know that God's word says over and over again is that our heavenly father is good and he loves you. Know that, own it. Here's the first thing to to write in your heart today about their heavenly father is your heavenly father loves you. Say that in your heart right now. You may need to even say that out loud. You may need to uh, uh, speak that when you get home, when you're alone, say, my father loves me. Our father loves us no matter what we would do for him today, no matter what mood he is in, it is who he is. He loves us unconditionally. First John 3 says this, see what great love the father's lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. If you have any question of who you are in relationship to God, you're his child. Isn't that a beautiful thing? 
and he desires to give you good gifts. God went the extra mile to let us know that. He says it time and time again. We see the pinnacle of that. He went the extra mile to send us Jesus. I try to go the extra mile to let my children know that God loves them. When the boys were young, we did creative things. Uh, early on with Daly, uh, especially when she was having trouble to sleep, I began to sing, Jesus Loves Me. I've shared that with you before. She is gonna be turning eight next month. It's hard to believe. But since she came into our house and including last night, every night that I'm with her, unless she's at like grandma's house, I get to sing, Jesus Loves Me to Daly. I don't know how much longer she's gonna let me do that. There'll be a day where she'll be like, okay, dad, that's enough. But if she's 18 and she's living in my house and she'll let me sing Jesus Loves Me to her, I will do it. I'm, I'm making a, a claim right now on that because it's so important for my daughter and my sons to know that Jesus loves them. Jesus went the extra mile. We should as well. And you need to, for your own heart, put God's word in your mind. Listen to songs that glorify God's love for you. You might, you might be thinking, well, why haven't you done that to the boys? Well, to be honest, when Dawson got about uh, five years old, he said, Dad, we don't need to hear you sing anymore. The boys shared a room together for a long time in Hershey. They were in one room with two bunk beds and it was a uh, tremendously chaotic, beautiful thing, okay? And we'd put them to bed at night and early on, they would let mom sing, but they're like, dad, nah, you don't have to. But we would read some books, especially this one I really liked. It's called, I Love You This Much. I don't know how many of you have ever uh, come across this book. It's a book that describes a, a daddy bear and a, a cub. And, and they would have this contest to describe uh, who loved each other the, mo the most. And they would talk about our love is uh, this low, this deep, this wide. And, and they would uh, have a contest to communicate who loved one another more. Well, the boys and I, after we'd read those books, that book, for the next few days, we'd come into situations, we had a little time, and we would begin to have a contest and it would get crazy. Well, I love you from uh, uh, Hersher all the way uh, to Streeter because that's as far as we'd went maybe that whole week. And, and someone said, well, I love you from Hersher all the way to Hong Kong. And then I love you from here to here. And then I would always stretch out my arms further because I still have the longest wingspan. I love you this much. And it would be pretty impressive. Sometimes I remember them even putting their little bodies together, uh, this group of hands and this group of hands, and I was still able to say, I love you this much. I tried to go the extra mile to communicate my love for them and God's love for them. And God has went even further by sending his son. Those times were crazy and fun, but it was for a point. It was to remind them how much they're loved by their father on earth and in heaven. Maybe you never received that by your father on earth, but he is saying that today in heaven. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more and there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. Think about that. He loved you before you were born. He loved you while he was knitting you together in your mother's womb. He loved you when you first began to be tempted, knowing you're gonna sin. He loved you when you were sinning and he loved you after your sin. He loves you that much. Your heavenly father loves you. Remember we talked about on during the wonderful counselor, he fully knows you and fully loves you. Nothing's hidden from him, yet he loves you. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his one only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's how much he loves you. But I said, I don't feel that love. Sometimes I don't either, but it's still true. When you feel like you're unloved, when you feel like you're neglected, when you feel like the world's handed you a bag of pickles and you're like, I want to give it all back, know that God has loved you before anything else was thought about. Our heavenly father loves us and he won't leave you. That's the second thing. Your, your everlasting father won't leave you. 
He won't walk away. I know some of you have been abandoned. Some of you don't know your dad. He has declared who he is and he will never leave you. Look what Hebrews writer says. God says, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. So you may say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. So I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? No matter where you're at today, no matter how you're hearing this, if God is your father, you don't have to fear anything. What can this world do to you? Really nothing. At the beginning of this pandemic, I declare from the same place that really this could be a blessing in disguise because so many of us have thought we were gonna do things on our own. But we've realized today, if, if you're a human with much struggle at all, that you need a helper like God. We need him now more than ever and he's not gonna abandon us. Jesus said this, surely I'm with you always to the ends of the age. Jesus said that though, Tyson, before he left. Yes, you're right. Here's how it went. Jesus died after living a perfect life. Then he came back to life, rose from the grave and he appeared to his disciples. And then right towards the end of his appearance, he says, oh, by the way, I'm gonna leave you and I'm gonna send a helper, but I'm never going to leave you. But he left us physically, but yes, but he sent his, son, his Holy Spirit in place of his son to be with us. And we can always pray, guided by the Holy Spirit, through Jesus to the Father directly. He's never going to abandon you because he hears you. I used to always uh, deny all phone calls if I was in a meeting. But if you've ever been in a meeting with me, 99.9% um, .9 of the time, if my boys call, I'm gonna take that call. I might take myself out of the room. If it's a pretty casual meeting, I'll just answer right where they're at. I'll say, hey, Dawson's calling and you hear what he says. But the reality is my boys don't call very much, even though three of the four of them have a cell phone. I don't get many calls from them. Tiffany and I now get Snapchats from them. Uh, I can't figure that out. I'm like, it went away, guys. I read it once, now I don't know what you want again. Okay, then I have to call them. That's the way it, it works for us. I was like, just text me. They're like, no, that takes too long. Really? But if they call and I'm almost anywhere, I'm gonna pick up the phone. I don't even have my phone on me today. I don't carry my phone and this is a place I don't because I'm sharing with you from the Father in heaven. So if somebody needs me, they can call the office and get me, me there. But if I've got my phone on and my voice call, I'm answering it, no matter who it's from. There'll be a day where Daly calls me and I'll see her name come up on the cell phone. It'll be a while yet. Daily, I'm taking that call because whenever I became a father, I no longer was living for myself or not even just for my wife, but I'm living to grow them to be like Christ. I'm gonna listen and I'm gonna hear them no matter the cost. I love to talk to my kids. I love to hear from them. Our heavenly father loves to hear from you. I'm an earthly flawed father and I love to hear from my kids. How much more does God wanna hear from you? Here's the next point. Your everlasting father hears you. Look what the word of God says. Jesus declares, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will open to you. For whoever asks, receives, and whoever seeks, finds, and whoever knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If then, though you're evil, and we're acknowledging we're all sinners, we're all evil as parents, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the gift, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God knows the gifts we need. And the gift that Jesus declares in Luke chapter 11 is he's gonna to continue to pour in the Holy Spirit because he's no longer with us. He's gonna give us the spirit to provide for us because he knows what we need. 
That's the next thing. Your heavenly father knows what you need. You know, we talk about this time of year that Santa knows and he's making a list and he, you know, he's checking it twice. He, he's, he's got an understanding of what we need. While we love to imagine about that, it's true that our heavenly father knows what we need. It's not a mystery. It's not a, it's not a fable. It, it is truth. Here's what Jesus says about this. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or what you'll wear on your body. It is not, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. However, I did some worrying this week and it didn't help at all. Our father knows what we need. So let's go spend some time with him. And why do we worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly fathers knows that you need them. As I, wrote that, as I read that last sentence this week, it made me think of Christmas. All the things that we run after, it says the pagans run after all these things. They want this, they want that. We want our bags to be full of things we enjoy, things that will make us happy. We run after all this and we make ourselves out to be like pagans. Guys, if we're not careful, Christmas can become about what we want. We run after all the things that we don't even need. Let's pursue Christ first this Christmas and know that he's the everlasting father that knows what you need and can provide. Here's the last truth of the day, the right in your hearts. Your everlasting father provi provides for you. He does. He knows what you need. He hears you. He loves you. And he provides for you. Most importantly, with salvation, but with other things. If we're not careful, become like kids in that opening video. Thinking of all the things we need, think of all the things that should be provided for us and just thinking if we could just exchange the bag, everything will be okay. No, none of this world can make us okay. Uh, sometimes we'll think if we can just get to 2021, then everything's gonna be great. Really? You think just because January 1 comes along, everything's gonna be different? I'm afraid not. You may be knocked down, you may be hurt. You, you may uh, feel like no one cares, but I promise you, you're not knocked out through Jesus Christ. He is the mighty God, the everlasting father who knows you, loves you, and is ready to provide for you. Don't give up. In this dark time, uh, depend on him more. I, I think God allows dark times to come into our lives, maybe even nations, and, and for most certainly all humans, so that we will turn back to him. We allow this to be an opportunity to put first things first and place your hope in him. I want to end today by reading this scripture. This on our Christmas card from the church. There's a few more out in the, in the foyer as you leave this way and both to the right and the left and maybe a few even on the Welcome Center. This card that, that I would love for you to send to uh, someone that you care about that needs hope. The center message as we focus on God's word was placed on the leadership's mind at the beginning of this year. Would you stand with me as I read it from Romans 15, 13? And I wanna leave you with this reminder of hope in Christ. And I pray that you share it with others. It says this, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust 
in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. As we prepare to sing this song, I want, I want to leave you with this. Our God is the God of hope. He's the source. He's the everlasting father, the source of hope. Sometimes we like to hold on to this, maybe our, our government or even our nation or the economy or your job. I want you to know in the world we live in, all those things could be gone in a moment. We hold on to this for hope and it lets us down. Wonder what you're holding on to hope for. Is it resources? Is it that perfect Christmas gift? Maybe it is our nation. Guys, there's no guarantees if you're not holding on to Christ. He's the source. You can also trust in him. Our heavenly, heavenly everlasting father can be trusted. If you look back to the text, you'll, you'll notice that as we trust in him, something is provided, joy and peace. As you hold on to him, you'll have joy and peace. If you hold on to this world, you may have happiness for a moment, but it will be fleeting. But hope and joy cannot be taken away as you hold on to Christ. What are you holding on to? Nothing is impossible for God. Happiness comes and goes. We've all had those Christmas moments that were amazing. And then you get into the darkness of being alone, maybe the next evening or the next day or after the new year, and you feel lonely again. Hold on and trust the everlasting Father. And know this, that we can overflow with hope by the Holy Spirit. Here's the cool thing. Our everlasting Father empowers us. He's provided everything we need. First, he provided Jesus, and then he's went uh, another level. And in our salvation, he's given us the gift of the Holy Spirit that gives that joy and peace, that actually lets it overflow. Man, this world's dark. There's a lot of problems right now, but we are called to overflow to the world with hope. If you've never made that decision to hold on to Jesus, do that today. If you've never received the Holy Spirit as a gift, it is available to you and have that hope and joy and peace that can never be taken away. We're gonna sing a song right now. It's called Good Father. It's not a Christmas song necessarily, but it's about our everlasting father and he's good. That's who he is. That's what we're gonna say. And it says he loves us. We're loved by him and that's who I am. It's who we are. If today you wanna make that decision, please come forward. D and I will be ready. Maybe you just need to talk to someone else that you know is a follower. If you wanna join this church family, we welcome you uh, this morning at eight o'clock service, the Canons. Uh, join the church. They said, we, we're a part of this family because we're brothers and sisters first. And now we wanna walk in this journey together with you at FCC. Whatever decision you have, please come forward as we sing about our good father. Father in heaven, we thank you for today. We thank you that you have given us life, that you are the source of hope, that you give us peace and joy and you let it overflow in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Father, if someone is here that needs to accept you, maybe they're online, I pray they would reach out to someone. Maybe they're listening on the radio. Let them, let them talk to a friend or neighbor or give us a call at church and let's place our hope in you and hold on to that. You're a good father. In your son's name we pray, amen.